Hey, so before we started this series, I don't know, about a month before we started, I pulled a group of single adults into a room with me, and I spent an hour talking to them about love, sex, and dating, what dating was like in this culture, what frustrated them, what, what they wished was different, what they loved about it, how they viewed marriage. It was a fascinating conversation um, to be able to hear their point of view and their perspective. And one of the things that came out of that conversation was this, that single adults in our culture today... Um, and I, I don't know that there's any uh, variation depending on age. I think this is probably true across the board, even though I'm, you know, I'm sure there are exceptions. But single adults in general, in our culture today, they, uh, they have some very, very low hopes when it comes to marriage. Particularly, they have low hopes when it comes to the possibility that they will be in a marriage or experience a marriage where they stay in love, happy together forever. And that's partly due to what they've seen around them. That's partly due to the, not just the divorces, you know, the ones who come from divorced or broken homes, but it, it's partly due to the marriages that they've seen and grown up seeing that, you know, there's not a divorce, but they wouldn't exactly call it happy when they saw it behind the scenes. And so part of the reason I wanted to do this series is because I, I wanted to talk about here's what it looks like, and here's a path, or here's a road, here's a plan to have a great stay in love happy together forever marriage, because it is possible. And the single adults, even though they, they say, you know, I don't know that's possible and I don't expect it and I'm, you know, I'm disappointed at the idea of marriage or whatever, and they're, they're skeptical or cynical of it and they're leery to get into it, even though all that's true, they still want it for them. Even though they're you know, like, okay, I don't, I don't know that it's, you know, it works very well for most people today, they still hope they end up in a marriage like that. So I wanted to talk about a path on how to get there, because it is possible to get there. And Scripture has a whole lot to say about that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And I wanted to talk to all of us, married or single, who, you know, you've, you've lost hope or you're losing hope that marriage can be what you hoped it would be or dreamt it would be or expected it would be. I, want, I wanted to talk to all of you and hopefully help you regain some hope in this series. So if you're married, last week I told you, if you're married, we're talking about some principles that will apply to you, and I don't even have to convince you they apply to you because you're in it. You're living in it, so the minute I start talking about this stuff, you connect the dots, which is why I'm not directly applying this to you and directly talking to you in this series. You can figure this out for yourself and apply it for yourself, but we want to see you as married adults, your marriage, wherever it is, take the next step, continue to get stronger. That's why we're providing, throughout this series, we're providing some free dates that you can download. It gives you some great ideas of things to do. And you can find all those right here at this website, lovesexdatingseries.com, lovesexdatingseries.com. You can download all of those. And if you miss any of this and you want to go back and catch up on it or share it with a friend, you can do find all the messages right here as well. So if you're married, you, you can figure out how this applies. But I, I said last week, I want to talk to all of you who are single, all of you who maybe uh, you're dating and you view dating as a path to getting married one day. You hope to be married one day. You hope things work out. You hope to stay in love, happy together forever. You're just not sure if it really is possible anymore. And here's where we started last week, if you weren't here just to catch you up. We started with the simple idea that married people don't have marriage problems because they got married. And a lot of people think that. But married people don't have marriage problems because they got married. Married people have marriage problems because they brought problems into their marriage. Because two people who both have problems 
got married. And they, those problems, when you bring them together, it's not one plus one equals two. It multiplies exponentially, and the problems just become greater and greater and greater. And one of the, the mistakes that married people make, and all of us who are married are probably, can relate to this, we probably did this, married people end up with marriage problems because they make two very dangerous assumptions. And just to review real quickly, here's what we said they were. The first one is, when we say I do, I get a fresh start with you. This is an assumption that married people make, that when I get to the altar, we both say I do. It's like Tinkerbell you know, spreads magic marriage pixie dust on us and all of our past disappears and we don't have any baggage or any issues. It's like a clean slate. We walk out, we get to start all over together and that's just not how it works. And those of us who are married, we know that because we have experienced that. The past always shows up in our future if we don't deal with the past. And isn't it true, not only does the past show up in our future, but it shows up at the most inopportune times, doesn't it? And so if you're single, this is important for you if you're single, and if you're married, you've you got to do this too, but if you're single, you need to figure out how to deal with those issues now, how to deal with the character issues, how to deal with you know, the baggage, how to deal with the mama or daddy issues, how to deal with the self-control issues and financial discipline issues. Whatever the baggage is that you're carrying, you can be way ahead of the game, way better than all of us married people were. If you understand, wait a minute, I'm in a single season of life where if I clean up all of this baggage, if I deal with all of this past, then it will not follow me into the next season. That's a huge thing to understand. The other myth or the other assumption that married people make is this. When we say, I do, love and commitment will see us through. Love and commitment will see us through. And this is very counterintuitive, but as I said last week, love and commitment are way, 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 way overrated. And by love, we're going to talk about a love that's not overrated today. But by love, what I mean is that emotional, intoxicating, head-spinning kind of, oh, we've fallen in love. How do you know this is going to work? We've fallen in love. How do you know he's the right one, she's the right one? Well, we've just fallen in love. That kind of love is never enough to see you through. That kind of love never guarantees a great marriage. The kind of love where you just, you know, you can't be apart and you talk to each other all the time and text each other a thousand times a day and you wear matching shirts and all that stuff. Like, you know, go, go ahead and do all that. Don't do the matching shirts. That's just too far. But do the rest of it, I guess, unless you're at Disney and then I'll give you a pass. I'll just mock you slightly. But other than that, you just, you just do all the rest of that, okay? It's because it's fine. You just do all the rest of that. But enjoy all of that. That's fine. But eventually all of that wears off. And it's supposed to wear off. When it wears off, that's not a bad thing. When it wears off, that doesn't mean, oh, no, now we've fallen out of love. I must be with the wrong person. No, 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 that's not the way it works. There is a different kind of love that you should have in a marriage that will sustain you long past this. This kind of love is way overrated. And, and this one's even more counterintuitive, commitment is way overrated. But we're committed to each other, but we're going to make this work. We are going to stick this out. We are committed to it. That's great. That's great. But listen. Commitment never delivers a great stay in love, happy together forever marriage. It just doesn't. Because every single weekend, there are couples all across this country who stand in an altar, or stand in front of a pastor or a judge or, you know, whoever, and they make vows to one another, and they are as sincere as they can be, and they are as committed as they can be to it all, and then they run into marriage problems, and it still doesn't last. Because commitment is not enough. As we said last week, you have to have more than just, oh, we fell in love and all oh, we're committed to each other. You got to practice and you got to prepare to have a stay in love, happy together kind of marriage. The secret, this is what we landed on last week, the secret to a great marriage is actually this. And nobody, none of us want to talk about this and none of us want to do this, but it's mutual submission. It's mutual submission. 
And we defined what this was last week. So if you weren't here, you know, th- this term carries so much baggage. You should go back and watch last week because we debunked a lot of those myths. But mutual submission is simply the idea of I'm going to put the needs, interests, and desires, wishes, and wants of the other person before myself. And that kind of submission requires some really, really deep character, doesn't it? That kind of, that kind of uh, submission requires a level of trust, a level of integrity, a level of humility, a level of servanthood. It requires a kind of character that you don't just drift into and you don't just fall into and you don't just get lucky and end up having. You have to prepare and you have to practice to have the kind of character that can mutually submit. Now, that being said, and we're going to come back to this idea in a minute, but that being said, here is what I want to address today. I want to answer this question. This is a great question. How do you know when you met the person that you should marry? All of you married people wondered that, wondered that at one point, didn't you? All of you who are not married, you're trying to figure that out right now. How do you know when you met the person that you should marry? Now, I want to give some really practical ideas or answers to this question, but before I do, I want to step back and lay the groundwork, so track with me for a minute, because I want to lay the groundwork for where we're going with this. Because there is a principle that you need to understand if you're going to be able to answer this question correctly. By the way, let me help you out. If, if you're married, the answer is... I'm married to them, okay? That's your answer, so don't go home and have a conversation around this question. The answer is I'm married to them, all right? You know you're married to them. But if you're single, you're still trying to figure this out. So I'm going to give you some practical answers. But first, here is the principle you've got to understand. If you don't understand this principle, you will end up answering this question wrong every single time. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. This is a principle you've got to understand. The best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. In other words, if you're trying to figure out are they the one that I should marry, what you should be doing is looking at their recent past behavior. And recent's important, but their recent past behavior. Because if they have recent past financial struggles, if they have recent past financial discipline issues, if they have recent past financial debt, that is a great predictor that they're going to have that in the future. If they have recent past faithfulness issues, it's a great predictor they're going to have that in the future. If they have recent past family drama, great predictor they're going to have that in the future. If they have recent past vocational issues, great predictor they're going to have that in the future. If in their recent past you look and you realize they do not prioritize the thing you prioritize, if you look and in their recent past there is no evidence that you know they got recent past spiritual issues, they don't prioritize faith, they don't follow Jesus the way you follow Jesus, red flag, red flag, red flag, you should pay attention because the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Now, I've had this conversation enough to already know what some of you are thinking, so let me just throw it out there. You're thinking, but Matt, that's so harsh to say because people change. You don't have to convince me people change. I'm in the people change business, okay? I see that happen all the time, so you don't have to convince me people change. But here's where you're making a mistake. You think people change for people. People never change for people. You think people change for marriage. People never change long-term for marriage. You think people change people. Let me help you out. People never change people. You do not have the power to change anybody. I've never watched somebody's life change because another person was able to change it. Let me tell you why people change. There are only two reasons. People change, and all of us have lived this, so we know it ourselves. People change either when 
The pain of staying the same is way worse than the pain of changing. Anytime staying the same is going to hurt you worse than changing, you're ready to change. The only other reason people change is when they see something so much better that they're willing to change in order to experience it. Those are the only two reasons people change. And so when you say, well, I know in their recent past, well, but people have changed and they promise. No, no, no. Uh-uh. That is not the way it works. Some of you are thinking, yes, but there are exceptions to the rule. And let me tell you, okay, I wouldn't argue that. There's an exception to pretty much every rule. So I'm sure there's an exception to this. However, however, you should never base the success of your future marriage. You should never, you know, put the weight of your entire future on hoping for an exception. That's just irresponsible. It is. It's just irresponsible. This is always true. Yeah, but they promised me. It doesn't matter. Listen, listen. Here's the best way I know to say it. Their past is far more reliable than their promise. This is always true. Their past is far more reliable. I know they promised. They promised they're going to. It doesn't matter. They promised they'd start coming to church. They promised when we got married. They promised they promised. No, it doesn't matter. Their past is far more reliable than their promise. Because the path you take trump the promises you make every single time. So if you're trying to figure out who you're supposed to marry, now again, if you're married, you're stuck with them, okay? You don't get to say, oh, I wish I'd have known that. I'm going to rewind this. No, no, no. Nobody gets to go see a divorce lawyer. But if you're single, if you're single, you need to understand. You should be paying attention to the patterns in their life, not the promises that come out of their mouth. The patterns in their life, not the promises that come out of their their mouth, because it is a far better predictor of future behavior than anything they say. Now, I bring all of that up because we all miss this, don't we? I bring it up because we've all made this mistake at some point, and I bring it up because when you go back to this question, how do you know when you met the person you should marry? The answers that we arrive at never include the principle I just talked about. Here are the answers we arrive at. We say things like, well, I just found the right person. I just found the right person. Like, they're the right person. Because they're the right person, then everything's going to work out. Because they're the right, we fell in love. Like, I know they're the right person because we fell in love. And because we fell in love and they're the right person, like, we're not going to have problems. and It's going to work out and we're going to have a great marriage. I, you know, everybody tends to think that. That's the wrong answer. We'll talk more about that in a minute. That's the wrong answer. But when we land on, well, I know they're, you know, who I should marry because they're just the right person. I can just feel it. I can just tell. You know what we all do? This is how you know you've done this. When you're single and you think you found the right person, you go home to mama or you go home to daddy and you say, hey, I found the one. I found the one. I found the one. I figured it out. I found the one. And we're so excited about it. And so mama or daddy looks at you and says, okay, how do you know that you found the one? And we always give some version of this answer right here. Well, they've got, they've got everything I'm looking for. That's how I know they're the one. We fell in love, and they've got everything I'm looking for. And what we're referring to is the list that we all form. Now, if you're married, you remember doing this, right? And single adults, you've got one of these. Every single adult has one of these. You have a list. And the list includes all the things you're looking for in a future spouse. Ladies, your list is about six times as long as the guy's list. That's okay. You've just thought about it a whole lot longer since, like, you were five. It's kind of weird, but y'all are are on the game way earlier than us guys, okay? So you got your list, and there are a lot of things on your list, and there's nothing wrong with any of the stuff that you put on your list, but here's what I've noticed as I've talked to single adults over the years. Your list 
usually doesn't lead to the kind of marriage you one day want to have. This is what I've noticed. That when you tell me all the things on your list and then you describe for me the kind of marriage you want to have, one is not an indicator or a predictor of the other. In other words, if you find everything on your list, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up with this. So what I want to suggest today is simply this. That maybe you take your list, I'm not saying you should erase anything off of it, but maybe there are some things you should add to your list to make sure you end up with the marriage you want. It is possible to put some things on your list that when you find these things, it significantly raises the probability that you'll end up in a stay in love, happy together forever kind of marriage. Now, here's what's so interesting. When you open up the scriptures and you begin to look for, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry? How do I know who I'm supposed to marry? You don't find any advice, pretty much, about how to find the right person. The Bible doesn't even talk about that. It is useless for that. But you find a whole lot of advice on how to become the right person. Now, let me explain to you why I think this is so valuable. Because you will attract who you are and not who you want. Let me, let me say that again. You should be tweeting that out or writing that down or something. That's important. You will attract who you are, not who you want. Some of you are sitting there thinking about the last three dating relationships you were in or the last three marriages you had, and you're getting a pit in your stomach, right? It's kind of, oh my gosh, because you thought the problem was them all the time. No, the one common denominator is you. It's you. You attract who you are in almost every case, not who you want, which means who you become has a lot more to do with the future success or the current success of your marriage than who you want and who you hope for and all the other stuff on your list. So there's a lot of advice in Scripture about how to become the right person because if you become the right person, the odds are extremely high that you will marry the quote-unquote right person and you'll end up with the kind of relationship you want to end up with. Now, what I love about Scripture is while there's not a list on how to find the right person, there is a list on how to become the right person. The Apostle Paul gave us a list when he wrote a letter to, to the Corinthians in the city of Corinth. And I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. It doesn't matter if you've ever opened up a Bible or not. You are familiar with this list because you have heard it. It's so famous. You've heard it in some different venues and settings. And here's the good thing about this list. Whether you are a Christian or not, this will help you. This will help you. If you're not a Christian, it will be far harder and it might even be impossible to live out this list. But you can still go for it. If you're a Christian, as we're going to talk about the end, I'll explain why this is so important. As a Christian, you have the full capability to become the kind of person that has all the attributes that Paul lists right here. And when you get this right, and when this becomes who you are, then you will attract somebody like this. When this, when this list becomes who you are, you will then have the kind of character where you can go into a marriage relationship and practice mutual submission, which is the secret to a great marriage. If you don't exemplify this list of character qualities, you'll never be able to mutually submit. But if you get it right, you'll attract somebody who can, and then both of you have the character to be able to mutually submit, and your marriage will be far better. If you are married, this is a list that ought to be true of you. And the more true of you it becomes the better your marriage, the stronger your marriage will become every single time. So before I give you the list, here's what I want you to do. And this will be a little painful, but you don't have to tell anybody, okay? Don't even have to tell your spouse. But here's the thing. As we go through this, 
Paul gives a lot of different qualities. I want you to grade yourself on every one. Just give yourself a green, I'm doing great at that, a yellow, I'm okay, or a red, oh man, I stink at that. I need to, that's, that's in cold red area right there, okay? You just give yourself a green, yellow, or red. And the reason I want you to do that is because I did this for myself as I went through the list, and I felt so miserable when I got done. Misery loves company. So I would just like for everybody else to feel a little pain as well, okay? Because I'm telling you, this list is pretty challenging. Here's what Paul has to say. Let's jump right in. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. He says, love, the kind of love that will lead to a great marriage is patient, is patient. Now, this is real important to understand. Patience is a decision. Impatience is an emotion. Impatience is you did something and I just responded with emotion. But patience is you did something and instead of responding emotionally, I chose to respond intentionally. Now, let me define for you what patience is. Patience is pausing to match the pace of another person. Let that sink in. It is pausing to match the pace of another person. That means you pause to match the pace of conversation with someone. You pause to match the speed at which someone processes information. You pause to match the speed at which they get ready to go out on a date. You pause to match the speed at which they want to get married, they want to have kids, they want to make that decision. Patience is when you pause to match the speed of another person. Now, I am not going to self-disclose on everything, but I will give you a little peek into my world. You can make this one double red for me. I am awful at this. I'm awful at this. I don't want to slow down for anything. I've spent the last 11 years trying to speed my wife up. By the way, not a good approach. I've finally given up. I'm stubborn and dumb, but I finally realize this doesn't work. Because, but it's just something in some of us, and some of you have no problem with this. You're the ones the rest of us are waiting on, okay? If you're like, I'm good with patience. No, and then, okay, then everybody's being patient with you. So, so pat yourself on the back. I got some coming for you later. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us who, I got to give myself a red here, this is tough, isn't it? But this is what love does. Love pauses to match the pace of the other person. Love says, that's okay. We're just going to be 10 minutes late to everything the rest of our lives, and I love you anyway. I'm not getting uptight. I'm not getting upset. I'm not barking at you. I'm not going to sit in the car and wait. I'm not honking the horn. I'm just going to go with it. That's what patience does. Okay? You can relate, can't you? Patience pauses it does not push. Now, you got to have that kind of patience and that kind of love for any marriage to be great. Every married person in this room and watching this knows I'm telling the truth. You're going to have to have that the rest of your life, aren't you? So you got to figure out, if you're single, the best thing you can do is figure out how to develop this quality now because there's nothing in your world that really forces you to develop it. Like when you're single... If you get tired of waiting on somebody, you just move on. It's like, okay, I'll just go do my own thing because you're not committed to anything. You're not stuck anywhere. You need to figure out how to develop this when you're single. It'll pay off when you're married. Okay, we're just getting started. It doesn't get any easier from here. You ready? Here's the next one. He says love is kind. Love is kind. Here's what kindness is. Kindness is when I loan my strength to somebody else. Or here's a, maybe a better way to explain it. Kindness is how love responds to weakness. 
how love responds to weakness. In other words, when I see you weak, when I see you struggling, when I see you not able to keep up, when I see you with so much on your plate that you're just starting to fall apart, I'm going to respond to you with kindness, which means instead of saying, come on, come on, come on, instead of saying, why can't you keep up, instead of saying, hey, why is that such a struggle for you, I'm going to come alongside you and I'm going to figure out how to loan my strength to you when you're weak. Now, this is huge. It's huge for a couple reasons. First of all, when you're single and you're dating, everybody predecides to be kind at the beginning of the dating relationship. So you can't measure anything by that, okay? Can, oh, yeah, they're so kind. Let me tell you what they did. No, 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 no. That'll, that'll wear off eventually. Like everybody predecides to be kind for a while. Let me tell you what you should look for if you're single. You should look for how the person you're dating or the person you're thinking about dating, how they respond to the weakness of someone else. Because if they are harsh with someone else who is weak, if they are harsh with someone else who is struggling, they will eventually be harsh with you. And it will crush your relationship. Kindness fuels intimacy and romance. Unkindness kills it. So this is a big deal, a real big deal. Paul says love is patient. You've got to have patience to mutually submit. Love is kind. You've got to have kindness to mutually submit. He goes on. Here's what he says next. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Those are three really ugly things, right? Nobody wants to have envy or boasting, or pride, you know, used as adjectives to describe who they are. Well, let me tell you what all three of these things have in common. Insecurity. Underneath envy, boasting, and pride is always a person who's insecure. Now, again, this is a big one. Because if you struggle with insecurity, you'll never be able to mutually submit and put the interest and needs of somebody else ahead of your own for the right reasons. You may do it for the wrong reasons for a period of time, but eventually you're going to quit. You're going to have your fill. The reason you can't do it for the right reasons is because insecure people can never trust fully. They just can't. So if you are an insecure person, your relationship will always suffer because that insecurity prevents you from being completely trusting and vulnerable and being able to mutually submit for the right motives. If you're dating someone who's insecure... Red flag. You should pay attention to that because you're going to suffer. Your relationship is going to suffer if they don't deal with that. Paul says you got to root that out. That's a character issue that's going to sabotage your future marriage relationship. you got to deal with your insecurity. Here's the next one. Love does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. In other words, love honors one another. If you're going to have a great marriage, you have to know how to show honor to each other. Now, let me ex- I think the best way I know to explain this, and maybe it'll, it'll make sense, is to think of it this way. Imagine you had the opportunity to go out and to have dinner with uh, one of your heroes, not like somebody in your family, but somebody that you, you've never been able to meet before. One of your heroes, or maybe it was a celebrity or whoever. Imagine you got to go have dinner with them. Now, how would you approach that dinner? You would spend a considerable amount of time trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to wear? Okay, what am I going to say? Okay, when I meet them, how am I going to react? What do I want to say when I meet them? Like, you would play that out in your head a thousand times. You would show up way early for the dinner, and when they showed up 10 minutes late, 20 minutes late, 30 minutes late, you wouldn't even say a word about it. It wouldn't matter. Like, you're, you would treat them like they were the most important person in the room. You would pay attention to everything they had to say. You would want to get to know them better. You would learn everything you could about them. You would honor them in every single way possible. That's 
what honor looks like. And Paul says, that's the kind of attitude, that's the kind of honor that you ought to show to your spouse or to your future spouse one day. If you want to have a great marriage, you've got to have the kind of character that enables you to put the spotlight on them and to serve them as often as you have the opportunity. Then Paul says this one, love is not easily angered. In other words, love doesn't have a short fuse. Love doesn't have a short fuse. Now again, this is a little different than patience. This is about self-control. This is about saying if you're going to have a great marriage, if you're going to have a marriage of mutual submission, you both have to have enough character and self-control to be able to control your emotions. Because anger is a reaction. Self-control is a response. So you've got to have enough character to be able to do that. Now, I know you can do that, and I have these conversations with people from time to time who say, well, listen, it's just kind of who I am, and it kind of runs in the family, and they give all of these reasons why they have a temper. Listen, you can control your temper, and I can control my temper. There's never an excuse for not controlling our temper. And the easiest way I can prove that is simply this. If you've lost your cool and you're giving it to somebody, and I walk in the room, you would immediately shut it off. People, I'm, I'm telling you, it's something when, when the pastor shows up, people act weird. Like you would, you would shut it off immediately. Be, oh, I don't want him to see that. You have complete control over it if you want to control it, and so do I. But if you have self-control issues, your relationship will always suffer. It always will. So give yourself a green, a yellow, a red. How you doing at that? Paul goes on. He's not done yet. Paul says, love keeps no record of wrongs. This is the character quality that I like to call intentional forgetfulness. Intentional forgetfulness. In other words, you distinctly choose to remember forgetting something. You know that old saying, hey, just forgive and forget? That thing is, that's so not true. That's impossible. You can't forgive and forget. You have to forgive and intentionally remember to forget. That's what you have to do. In other words, I'm not going to hold this against them. Now, some of you grew up in homes where you had a record keeper as a mom or dad, and so you understand exactly why this will kill a relationship. But if you had a record keeper as a mom or a dad, the odds are good that you struggle with this yourself. Here's why being a record keeper wrecks a relationship. Because record keepers always anchor the relationship in the past. And when the anchor is in the past, it prevents progress in the future. And it looks like this. When an issue arises and the two of you begin to talk about it, one of you, the record keeper, always says, well, yeah, you got it right this time, but do you remember? Well, yeah, you got it right, but last three times. Yeah, you got it right, but... Like, you can never win, you can never be right with a record keeper because they, they've kept all the tally. Like, they, they have not forgotten a detail over the last, you know, 10 years or however long it is. Like, they, they have built a case. It's like arguing with a lawyer. They have built a case where you're never going to win. You're never going to win. Some of you are like this. Some of you are single, but you are record keepers. And you don't think it's a big deal right now, but I'm telling you, if you don't learn how to forgive and intentionally choose to forget and let it go. It's going to wreck your marriage when you're in a marriage one day because this gets you every single time. Marriages are always made up of two great forgivers. And if you can't practice that, you're going to struggle. Now, here's the beauty of not being married if you're not married. 
Most married people don't really figure this out until they get married, and then they have to learn it in the context of a marriage. But you can be way ahead of the game. You can be way smarter than all of us married people, and you can learn this now so when you go into the marriage, it's not a big deal. You can learn to keep no record of wrongs. Paul goes on. Here's what he says next. He wraps it up, verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now here's all Paul's saying. I'll sum it up this way. Paul's just saying this. Love sees the best, it believes the best, and it overlooks the rest. Because in your future relationship, or if you're in a relationship right now, there are going to be moments where there are gaps created. And by gap, I just mean there are going to be moments where that person you're dating or that person you're married to one day, that person is not going to live up to your expectations. Your expectations were right here, and their behavior is right here. And when that happens, you have to figure out what you're going to fill that gap with. You can fill it with suspicion, or you can fill it with trust. People who learn how to love well, people who learn how to mutually submit, as often as possible, as often as they responsibly can, they fill the gap by believing the best. Now, here's all I mean by that. I don't mean they put their head in the sand and they ignore you know, danger or warning signs. I mean, he said he'd be home at 6, but he doesn't get home at 6, and you're sitting there trying to figure out, okay, well, where is he? Now, you can do two things in your head. You can say, you know what, this is just like him. He never keeps his word, and he's probably an on and on and on. And you can, you can believe the worst and assume the worst, or you can say, you know what, he's probably got a great reason why he's not home at 6. There's probably something's come up, and he hasn't been able to tell me about it, and when he gets home, it'll probably all make sense. Now, when, you get, when he gets home, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know, why were you late? And if he's got a great reason, guess what? You have already believed the best and trusted him, and the relationship is not hurt. The relationship's actually strengthened because of your trust. Or he may have a terrible reason, at which point you get to practice forgiving and not being a record keeper. But either way, you're going to need one of these things, right? The same's true with her. She promises to do something. She doesn't do it. You can assume the worst, or you can believe the best. And again, if there's a track record of the worst, I'm not saying you stick your head in the sand. Okay? You, you don't ignore red flags, okay? I'm not saying you don't deal with any of that. But I'm saying you trust and verify. You trust and verify. But you always lead with trust until they give you a track record or a reason not to trust. So, there's Paul's list. Paul says, you want to know how to know when you met the person you should marry. It's a person who demonstrates these qualities. You want to know how to meet a person that you can have confidence. That's a person who has a kind of character that can mutually submit and will have a great marriage. They've got these qualities. This is what you should be looking for. So take your list that you've got and all the things you got on there. I hope he has, you know, you know, whatever hair and freckles or dimples or he's this tall or you know you got makes a lot of money drives his car whatever your thing is you know for him or for her you keep that list all that stuff's fine but you should add these qualities to it because these are the qualities that are a tremendous predictor of the kind of marriage you're going to one day have now before we wrap this up i want to turn this around on you the reason I got you to grade yourself out on this is because, again, these qualities shouldn't just be true of the person that you're looking to marry one day. Or if you're married, these, these qualities shouldn't just be true of your spouse. They should be true of you. 
It should be true of you. Matter of fact, if you are single, the very best thing you can do to guarantee yourself a great marriage with a great future spouse is to become this kind of person. It's to, it's to develop these kinds of character qualities because, again, you attract who you are, not who you want. So, if you're single, I have one final question for you. Is the person I'm looking for, you got to ask yourself this, is the person I'm looking for looking for a person like me? Because you're sitting there going, absolutely, I want somebody who's not a record keeper. I want somebody who believes the best. I want somebody who has self-control and is not easily angered. I want somebody who's patient. Like, you want all those things in your spouse. Was the person you're looking for, would they be looking for a person like you? Or if they met you, would they say, nah, not my kind of person? Because, again, you attract who you are, not who you want. If your answer to this question is, no, I don't think they'd be looking for a person like me. I have some great news for you. You now have a game plan of what you should do next. You should spend far less time trying to find the right person. You should spend far more time trying to become the right person. You just need to develop these character qualities. You need to pick one out. You don't have to do them all at once, but you need to pick a couple out and say, you know what? I'm going to ask God to help me develop these. This is the kind of person I eventually want to become. And when you become good at those things, you will meet somebody who is good at those things. And you will end up with a great marriage because you can both mutually submit and love one another sacrificially. Now, for all of you who are in here who are married, I don't even have to apply this for you, do I? Because you know all of these things are true, and you know how important they all are, and you know which ones you need to work on in your marriage. Whatever areas are red, whatever areas are yellow in your life, those are the areas impeding you from a stronger marriage. Guaranteed. You don't need to go see a marriage counselor. You don't need to call me up and say, hey, let's talk. Help me figure out how to have a better marriage. You just need to figure out how to develop these qualities. Now, if you're a Christian, here's the good news for you. God has placed his spirit inside of you and given you the power to have this kind of character. He has placed his spirit inside of you. And you know what the result of you surrendering to God's spirit, in other words, of you allowing God and his spirit to do the work on your character he wants to do. When you cooperate with him, you know what happens? Paul said in a letter to the Galatians that your character is described by these words. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Does that sound familiar? These are the very qualities God wants to develop in you. So if you're a Christian, you can't say, oh, I just don't think I can change that. If you're a Christian, you can't say, oh, I don't think I'm going to take that seriously. Because A, you can change. And B, I mean, if you're like, I don't want to take this seriously, here, here's what I would ask you. Your spouse or your you know, boyfriend or your girlfriend or your future boyfriend or girlfriend, whoever it is, which of these qualities are you willing to give them a pass on? Which of these qualities are you willing to say, you know what, it's just their personality. Patience is just really hard for them, so I'm just going to give them a pass. I don't care if they're ever patient. You're not going to give your spouse or future spouse a pass on any of those qualities. You want them to be good at all of them. So you need to develop them as well. Don't give yourself a pass. Cooperate with the Spirit of God at work inside of you and let him to develop this.
in you. And then, if you're single, you'll know who to marry. It'll be really obvious. And you'll remember, wait a minute, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Let me look at the recent past behavior. Oh, I see all of these qualities. I see somebody who values the relationship with Jesus and is following him in such a way that, he, that they have allowed God to develop all these things in their character. And they don't just show it to me. Look at how kind they are to other people in their weakness. Look at how patient they are with people. Wouldn't it be so easy not to be patient? Look at how secure they are. They're not proud. They're just secure in who they are. There's no insecurity in them. That's the one. That's the one. It'll be crystal clear. Because the best predictor of their future behaviors is their past behavior, and they will have proven they have this character. I would guess that every single one of us have something we need to work on. So here's your homework this week. Identify what it is, ask God to help you, and get to work. And then come back next week, and we'll pick up the conversation. Let me pray for you. Father, whatever it is in us that needs to change, that needs to change in order to attract the kind of person to end up in the kind of marriage one day where we're with somebody, where we can both mutually submit, or for those of us who are married, whatever needs to change in us so our marriage, no matter how good it is, can become better, can become stronger. God, would you give us the courage to look in the mirror and not make excuses for our own behaviors, not make excuses for why we do what we do and why we struggle with that. Instead, just to own it, to admit it needs to change, and most of all, to cooperate with you and invite you to help us to grow and to change. Thank you for giving us the power to change and to become who you created us to be so we could have the relationships you created us to have. It's in your name we pray. Amen.